With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Well, hello everyone. This is David Jamison, Doctor of Natural Medicine, a.k.a. Dr. Truth, and I am pleased and honored to have Dr. Richard Ablin with me today. He is the author of The Great Prostate Hoax and is, let me give you a quick, a quick um, brief rundown on his credentials. I'm not going to spend time on, on me. We have a lot to go over today, so I'm going to try to take all 60 minutes and let Dr. Ablin speak as, as much as possible. Dr. Ablam is, is literally the horse. He is the horse's mouth. He is the man that discovered the PSA, the prostate-specific antigen. Dr. Ablin is a professor of pathology at the University of Arizona College of Medicine, discovered the prostate-specific antigen in 70, like I suggested, or like I mentioned. And isn't it true, aren't you in charge of the immunology uh, division there at the university too, Dr. Ablin? No, no, I was in the Department of Immunobiology before I came into the Department of, of Pathology, but now I'm uh, strictly um, in the Department of Pathology. Oh, great, wonderful. And not to sit here and, and I don't want to not talk about your credentials and everything, but we got a lot to go over, so I'm just going to get going if that's okay. Um, first no, that's off, fine. Doc- I, it's a, it's it's a privilege to be uh, on your show. I've listened to some of your previous uh, previous blogs, and and I was uh, really thrilled when when you contacted me in early December. And I think that this is a critical topic that uh, needs to be discussed. And there are several basic fundamentals. I think that particularly the lay public, uh, hopefully will benefit from getting a better understanding of a very confusing um, subject, uh, particularly with regard to prostate cancer, uh, which is one of the leading causes in terms of incidence and and death in in males. And what I wanted to mention is just in general, uh, cancer... uh, believe it or not, um, is more common than marriage today. Wow. And the idea that is so critical here is that when you're told that you have cancer, this changes your life. Um, The word cancer is probably the most feared word in in any language uh, throughout the world, and it actually thrusts you uh, into an unknown, bewildered, and, and unprepared state. And so the thing that's so important uh, and why I was excited uh, to talk with you today is is because it's a terrible thing for a man, uh, regardless of his age, to be told uh, that he has cancer and that he has prostate cancer because of a terrible misunderstanding and injustice with regard to the principal test uh, that's been used um, incorrectly in one aspect uh, for the diagnosis of prostate cancer. And I wanted to mention at the outset that, uh, first of all, when we talk about an antigen, that we need to understand that an antigen is any substance that Are you reading my mind? That was going to be my you, first question, doctor. You must be well, reading my mind. But, yes, what is an antigen? Please tell us. An, and antigen, us a, yes. an antigen is any substance uh, that produces 
an immune response um, produces antibodies to it, and that um, we can think of uh, as an immune response which activates um, the um, the immune system uh, in fighting infections, a variety of different infections, and and including, of course, uh, cancer. Uh, an example of an antigen for is a common, say, a common cold virus, uh, which causes the body to make antibodies, uh, which help prevent that person um, from being sick. So when we talk about PSA, we talk about prostate-specific antigen, which is an antigen specific to the prostate gland. Uh, it's a substance produced by cells of the prostate and released into the circulation or into the blood. And we can measure the amount of PSA in the blood by what we call the, the prostate-specific antigen test. Um, generally, when there's a problem with the prostate, and there's three basic problems that men encounter with the prostate, one is prostatitis, which generally is thought of as an infection. It also can be caused by diet. There's what we call benign prostatic hypertrophy. Sometimes we'll see this in the literature as abbreviated BPH, and this happens in all of us men as we start to reach our fourth decade of life Exactly. Um, our prostate enlarges. Um, right. And, of course, the third condition is prostate cancer. Okay. And the thing that's critically important here is that PSA is not cancer-specific. Say, say that again. So the PSA... It's found in the normal prostate, the benign prostate, and also in the malignant prostate. So let me ask you this. So, let me let me for, interject just a quick question there, yeah. please, Dr. Evelyn. When, how, and why does the prostate secrete the antigen? Any anything that aggravates or stimulates the prostate. For example, if a person is a truck driver driving from Los Angeles to New York and bouncing up and down on the seat in the truck through his route, that could cause the release of PSA into the bloodstream. If an individual is riding a bicycle for a long period of time, any type of activity that stimulates the prostate will cause the release of PSA into the circulation. Now, it's important to appreciate the fact that the PSA test has two uses. But, but let me just, one, one follow-up question to what you just said. But when it releases it, it's an antigen, so what does the feedback loop, what does it, what does it think is happening? Why is it releasing it? Does this clean up like a like T helper cell? Is it like working, going to work? What is it no, doing? No, no, no. When, when the prostate, is, the, the, the PSA is present in cells of the prostate. Specifically, they're called epithelial cells of the prostate. When these epithelial cells undergo activity, such as the truck driver who's bouncing up and down on the seat, and the cells lice or break open, the PSA is released into the bloodstream. Oh, okay. Okay. So now For example, on a net, if, like... an if, if an individual was engaged uh, in heavy um, sexual activity, regardless of what, what, what the activity was, uh, whether it was uh, homosexual, heterosexual, 
um, activity, um, that would cause the release of PSA into the circulation. So let me but let me interject a question there. So it's not really an immune response. It's a breakage of cells. Is that what you're saying? Right. Well, in general speaking, when I gave the definition of an antigen, an antigen mm -hmm. in, in general is any substance that can cause your immune system to produce an antibody to it. Because ah, okay. Because PSA is hidden or sequestered, as we use the term, from the immune system, in general, you're not exposed to PSA unless it's liberated out into the circulation. Okay. So, right. so how did so you how did how did you discover? the prostate-specific antigen in 1970, and why wasn't it known prior to 1970? We were, I was involved in the development and the use of a tool for the treatment uh, primarily of cancer, and particularly in this case of cancer of the prostate, which was called cryosurgery or cryoablation. In this particular situation, instead of surgically removing the prostate or treating the prostate with radiation or chemotherapy, a very small, what we call a cryoprobe, for example, if you can envision a, something smaller than a straw was inserted into the prostate and liquid nitrogen, which is minus 196 degrees, which is extremely cold, was passed through this probe into the prostate and the prostate was frozen. Instead of being removed surgically or radiated or treated with chemotherapy. What we observed was some patients who had cancer spread beyond the prostate, which we would call metastasis or metastatic disease, that following cryosurgery, these patients, for example, who had cancer in their lungs, underwent a regression or remission of their metastasis which suggested from the basis of our experimental studies that freezing was stimulating or creating the re release of an antigen from the prostate or altering an antigen and that this was producing an immune response and that this immune response was then circulating through the individual when it came in contact with the cancer it destroyed the cancer and wow. so I began a search to try to understand what was causing this remission or regression of these metastases and so I began studying the normal, benign, and the malignant prostate studying the protein makeup or the antigenic makeup of these tissues. And through those studies, I identified what I subsequently referred to as prostate-specific antigen. Wow. So I've, I've read accounts and you know when I was studying for my doctorate we were given lots of 100 150 year old books these old MDs and um, that were the eclectic types back then because they they worked with anything they could get their hands on and I read some accounts of certain these were medical doctors that would in, inject um, disease tissue to get a response like that and they would find remission in tumors and so that's basically right. well, what that's you're saying there. There was a gentleman um, 
this was referred to as Coley's toxin. And yeah. there was yeah. a series of observations that were made in the early 1900s yep. where uh, people um, who had cancer, uh, initially they developed an overwhelming systemic infection and remarkably so there was a remission of cancer and when this was examined uh, by Coley for which the name Coley's toxin uh, comes right. from it was learned that the injection of, of these organisms stimulated an immune response and that this immune response then uh, had an effect on the cancer Mm-hmm. Now coming back to the, coming back to the PSA test, there's two uses to the PSA test. As I was, hey, you must be reading my mind today, because that's what I was just going to ask you. Go ahead. Keep well, going. All right. All right. Yep. The first use of the PSA test, which was approved in 1986 by what we know as the Food and Drug Administration, was for the purpose of that when a man was treated for prostate cancer, either surgery, radiation, or chemotherapy, and we wanted to determine how successful his treatment was, we then looked with the PSA test for the presence of antibodies to to PSA in the circulation, because had we successfully removed the prostate or radiated it, for example, there shouldn't be any PSA left in his circulation because the source of PSA was destroyed. That use was the first use of the PSA test and is still used and approved today. The second use of the PSA test was a fatal mistake by the Food and Drug Administration in 1994. They approved the same PSA test as a tool for the detection of prostate cancer. And if you recall, a few minutes ago I explained that the antigen, PSA, is not cancer specific. It's present in the normal, the benign, and the malignant prostate. So therefore, a positive PSA test is not a definitive diagnosis for prostate cancer. And unfortunately, this led to a tsunami, if we may call it, of the overdiagnosis and overtreatment of men who actually in many cases either had prostatitis or had BPH, which also can cause an elevation of PSA. Right, right. Now, so in your expertise, does the PSA being present at the level that they use, the number four. Right. Does that, so what happened your, was... Ex, wait, right. let me finish so, the question. Is there any, oh, in your yeah. expertise, does that show any pathology just by being at oh, four no. out of a billion? No, no. So what happened was... Okay. The pharmaceutical and the urological community seeing the ability to try to diagnose prostate cancer by a serological test, what they did was they arbitrarily decided, just as we have levels of cholesterol and triglycerides, they arbitrarily decided that four nanograms, nanograms is a chemical measure of the level or the amount 
of a substance, in this case PSA, they arbitrarily said that if you had a level of PSA equal to or less than 4 nanograms per ml, that that was normal, and that if your level was above 4 nanograms per ml, that was abnormal, and you should have a biopsy to determine whether or not you have prostate cancer. And unfortunately, as we know, a person can have a level of 0.5 nanograms per ml and have cancer, which is far less than 4 nanograms, and can have a level of 11 nanograms, which is, I guess, a little over two times the level of 4, and not have cancer. Right. and not have cancer. And what we subsequently have found is that we have two types of cancer of the prostate. We have what we call latent or histological prostate cancer. I think in your book you referred that to, to that as the turtle, right? Right, and we have um, we have clinical cancer. And so in a in a large study that was done of a group of of men who died uh from cerebral hemorrhages other types of diseases um starting from the age of 20 going up to 80 if they looked at the prostate in these men histologically what they found was that as the groups got older, went from 30 to 40 to 50 to 60, 70 to 80, that the increase of prostate cancer was age-related. So this explains why the PSA test, one of the flaws of the PSA test is because prostate cancer is an age-related disease, and all of us who eventually get into the upper decades of life, we have prostate cancer, but it's latent or histological cancer. It's not clinically expressed. And so I put together what I call cruxes or flaws to the use of PSA screening for prostate cancer. That is, as I explained, PSA is not cancer-specific. There is no level. There is no level of PSA that's diagnostic for prostate cancer. For example, the man who had the level of 0.5, which is far less than four, may have cancer, whereas the man who has a level of 11 doesn't have cancer. Now, somebody who has a PSA in the hundreds or the thousands obviously has cancer, which most likely has metastasized or spread to other parts of the body. Now, the other flaw with the PSA test is, if you remember, I explained that there is indolent cancer, that is, it doesn't express itself clinically, and then there's aggressive cancer. And so PSA cannot distinguish whether a man has an indolent cancer from an aggressive cancer. And PSA is age-related. So because of these four flaws, the PSA test cannot be used in itself to detect prostate cancer. Now, despite the fact of these flaws, if one looks at the literature, and I did a search of the literature about at, at 2.24 this afternoon, right before I was to call in to speak to you, and hard to believe, but that if you look 
for papers that have been published on prostate cancer and prostate-specific antigens. There are 34,960 papers that have been published. 34,000 on the PSA test or on no, prostate no, cancer? No, no, just, just on prostate cancer and okay. PSA. Now, if you narrow this down, since 1997, there have been 2,300 papers published on PSA screening. Okay. And over 70, over 70 clinical trials involving over 700,000 participants. Now, why am I boring you if I'm boring you with figures? I'm trying to emphasize that despite the fact that the PSA test is not cancer-specific and cannot detect prostate cancer, men have been overdiagnosed and overtreated, resulting in a high level of morbidity exemplified by their inability to control their flow of urine and erectile dysfunction, their inability to get an erection. Right. And In your course, book, it was, you, you had letters from many men that basically said their, their manhood was taken from them. They don't feel like men anymore. That's right. And so... Mm -hmm. There was, you remember, a lot of people, I'm sure, are familiar with the name of Albert Einstein. And Albert Einstein, one of his famous quotes was, in which he defined insanity as doing the same thing over and over again, expecting different results. Yeah. And so, that, despite, truth? despite what I've tried to educate the medical and scientific community over the last 40-some years, there's still, as I indicated, there have been over 70 clinical trials involving over 700,000 patients. Now, let me just give you, which I think hopefully anybody could appreciate this, let's be the devil's advocate and let's forget about Dick Ablin and what Dick Ablin explains about why the PSA test cannot detect prostate cancer. Let's look at a recent study that looked at 400,000 men over a 10-year period who had a PSA test. Okay. Right, who had a PSA test. And at the end of 10 years... They asked the question, what was the difference in prostate cancer deaths in those people who were screened, who had a PSA test, and in those people who didn't have a PSA test? And in those people who had a PSA test, the mortality from prostate cancer was point three, oh, zero point three oh per okay. one thousand person year. But but let's remember point three oh, the mortality from those patients who had a PSA test from those men versus a control group, which meant that these men did not have a PSA test. And the mortality rate in those patients was 0.31. So in, in, in over 400,000 men studied for a 10-year period, the successfulness of the PSA test in reducing the mortality from prostate cancer was 0.0. One. So, that's what okay. one in. Uh, I can't even figure that out. You're the you're yeah, the scientist. Okay. So what, what's that one comes, and what? What that comes out to, to, that comes out to, zero point one one. 
per hundred for one thousand person years. Hmm. All right. Now Negligible. let me just give you one other recent example published this past year in that they looked at 19 clinical trials. That is 19 trials right. that involved close to 13,000 men. Now, the, there's a task force called the United States Preventative Services Task Force, which oversees various different tests that are given to people and in 2012, the task force decided that the harms of the PSA test outweighed the benefits of the test. And I hope I've explained why the harms were, because we're using a test to detect cancer that can't detect cancer. Right, right, and right. recently through lobbyists in Washington, the task force in 2017, where they had previously classified the PSA test from to what they gave a, a D, a D as in David, D as in dog rating, that the harms outweigh the benefits, the lobbyists convinced the task force to give it a C rating, which meant that you should sit down with your physician and you should discuss what you refer to as um, a decision. In other words, you and your doctor should sit down and discuss the pros and cons of the PSA test to determine whether or not you should have the test. Well, hold on. Let me get this oh. straight. So right when we started this interview, you were talking about how when someone gets the results from a test, it's an upheaval and can ruin lives. So now what you're saying, I'm reading between the lines here for the listeners, you're saying that the task force said, no, D, let's get it out of the system. But the lobbyists convinced it to keep it in there and discuss it. Now, my, what okay, I'm reading so between the lines you. here, yeah, go ahead. No, but so I'm wait, just, I'm let me, throwing let it me just tell you, look, wait, so okay. let me tell you the outcome here, which, which, you'll, which you'll be shocked with is that, so what I call the self-anointed wizards who decided that shared decision-making mm-hmm. should prevail. So they did these, this study. And they looked at 19 trials involving 13,000 men to try to make a determination as to how should the physicians and the patient come to a decision with mm-hmm. regard to have the test. This would be a good one. And after they did the test, they came to the decision that no shared decision-making, despite the efforts to do so, were successful. So once again, forget about Dick Ablin and what Dick Ablin has used science to prove about the futility of the PSA test for screening. Look at the results published by what I call the self-anointed wizards. Now, right. let me give you one other study, and then I'll stop. You may have a, some questions here. I got a few, is so that, you get, get, yeah, you got to give me a little yeah, shot is that, Yeah, a recent study took 217,000, over 200,000 men who were seen by their physicians mm-hmm. in a pre-screening discussion in the healthcare system to discuss whether or not they should or should not have a PSA test. Now, 37% of these men were told only the advantages of the PSA test, meaning that it could detect cancer, your cancer could be detected early, treated, and cured. 30% 
we're told the advantages and disadvantages of the test. But 33% were told about neither. They weren't told about the advantages or they weren't told about the disadvantages. So let me, let me ask this. So you're saying over 60% were either moved towards it technically or not moved away from it, and only 30% were giving both sides. That's that's correct. So still So the, so the problem here in our healthcare system is that we are spending – Billions and billions of dollars on a test that cannot do what it's purported to do. Right. Well, even the billions of dollars, to, let's talk about the millions of maimed men. I mean, that's even a sadder case. Some of the, your book, I, I, when I read the book, I literally get up and walk around and say things out loud. I would get so enraged. And everyone that's listening, you've got to get to Amazon and you've got to order this book. Dr. Avalon told me that the numbers are down and we're not going to get into conspiracies here or anything like that, but the marketing hasn't been as good as it should have been for this book. So anyone listening, buy these books, give them out. Give them out to loved ones. Give them to men and women because he even goes over in the book, and I've experienced this clinically, that a lot of times it's the whim, the the mother or the I'm sorry the wife or the girlfriend that makes the decision. They'll get pressure. Isn't that correct, doctor? Oh, absolutely. Now the the, the further downside of this, and I don't want to go into all these too too much statistics here, but the further downside of all this is, is that while these clinical trials have been going on to decide the use and the disuse of the PSA test. There have been other trials that have been comparing surgery, generally speaking, radical prostatectomy, the surgical removal right. of the prostate, versus radiation, radiating the prostate, versus watchful waiting, or is now called active surveillance. And in these studies, They've shown that the difference between doing nothing versus doing something is marginal at best. <laughs> okay, I'm going to say so that again. You have I like a to test, things. So, so, so just put this together. You have mm-hmm. a test that can't do what it's purported to do. Right. You can, the test can't you do can what it's supposed lipstick, to do. You, you, you can put lipstick on a pig but the pig is still a pig. Right. right. If you remember when you were going to school, there were what we called alchemists who took common metals mm-hmm. and tried to make silver and gold out of them. They couldn't do it. And you can, some people have tried to take a sow's ear, a pig's ear, and make a silk purse out of it, but you can't. Right. So the thing right. that has been so frustrating for me is that the test that is still being touted, although it's in, it's the use of it is falling, and there have been other types of tests that have been proposed, none of which still meet the criteria that needs to be met. Right. And at the same time, the tools that we have to treat this disease are generally speaking inadequate. Right. You you spent a long time talking about those centers that uh two hundred million dollar centers that are inadequate and but well, they the, had yeah been, the proton the proton yeah. beam centers, I mean, uh, are are unreal. There's no and, and evidence. You, what you're, yeah. So people, but they got to be paid for. So we're right. Who's who's taking who's taking the hit on that? Us. So wait. Let me, now. Can I get a few? I got to get some questions in here because you keep bringing up things and I keep writing them down. So basically, what you're saying is that early detection and procedures 
does not show any type of disease-free longevity increase. There's no increase in d- disease-free longevity. That early detection, let me, let me hear it in your own words. What, is, what do you think about okay. early detection? There's no, there's no, okay, I'm not saying that early detection is totally useless. What I'm saying is that the use of the PSA test has not shown any significant decrease in mortality from prostate cancer. Right. When you and compare, so- when, 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 when uh, a good example is, is as follows, if I can just give this last example, I'm sorry. Is okay. You have you have those people that believe in screening, and those people who don't believe in screening. So you have two men. You take Bill. Bill gets to be 65 years old, and he goes with the mantra. He gets screened, he gets diagnosed, and he gets treated, and he dies when he's 75. You have Dick. Okay who does not go with the mantra, he says, I'm not going to do anything until I have symptoms. At 70, he has symptoms. His urologist tells him, Dick, I'm sorry, you've got metastatic disease, we'll do what we can do for you, but I'm sorry, the outlook, the prognosis is not very good. Dick dies when he's 75. Right. Those people who believe in screening say Dick was a fool. Bill, <laughs> who got screened, diagnosed, and treated at 65, lived 10 years. Dick, yeah. who had his head in the sand like an ostrich and do nothing, he only he died when he was 75. So Bill lived 10 years. Dick lived five years. Right, right. But but who knows that Bill didn't live with the terrible quality of life. Exactly. You you want to you gave some very good examples in your book, and I'm telling li- listeners you have to get this book. It's not like reading a, a trashy novel, and it's not overly entertaining. Um, and nothing you know that it's a, it's a it's it's information, but this stuff needs to be passed around, Doctor. We have 18 minutes. I want to just bring up a few things and have you just comment on, my, on them quickly. The I've heard that the a, a female will show PSA in their blood. Is that true? That's that's correct. Women. I, I did some work um, with a forensic pathologist in Slovakia, um, and we demonstrated that the female has a prostate for years. If you go look at a urological textbook, what is now known as the female prostate was referred to as Skeen's glands because in 1880, a gynecologist by the name of Alexander Skeen did a dissection of the female urethra, and he found some structures, and he named them after himself as Skeen's glands. But in 2001, the Nomenclature Committee, based upon some of our studies, renamed the Skeen's glands as the female prostate. Now, the female prostate has PSA, and it also has other enzymes that the male has. And in some cases, we were involved in some some contentious cases of rape where secretions of PSA were found on the woman's undergarments and a man was accused of rape. However, when it was brought to the court's knowledge that a female secretes PSA, well, the man was exonerated. Do they show... Females... Female pathology at, at like um, their number yeah, female, four. I I can show you a slide of a female prostate and a slide of the male prostate, and histologically you won't be able to tell me which is which. The difference hmm. between the male 
and the female prostate is. The male prostate is one gland about the size of a walnut, chestnut, whereas the female prostate are a series of individual glands that are found within the urethra. Females produce prosthetic fluid, and some females on orgasm who produce the fluid have been embarrassed because they felt that they had urinated when the truth is they didn't urinate. They secreted or excreted, in this case, prosthetic fluid. Okay. So um, we got 15 minutes here, and I want to. This is going to get into the the good part here, the nitty gritty. So, and you go into this very deeply, and we don't have time to to go through the book right now. But before I came came up here to my clinic today, I just put PSA into Google and hit the little search button, and the very first thing that comes up, it just says prostate cancer. It doesn't say pro- prostate-specific antigen. you got to scroll down pages until you even know what PSA is. So the public, if you say PSA, I'm just guessing here. If, if it comes up top on Google by just putting in the letters PSA and the very first thing you see is prostate cancer, there, there's got to be a reason that this is happening, that people think of it as a detection tool, and it's, being, it's, it's not being removed from society. And it's getting deeper and deeper. Um, at least, like when I, I, I'll give you an example, and I don't know if he's. I, I, in no, fact, well, the I'm reason, the reason, the, the reason for that is, is PSA testing, PSA screening, is a trillion-dollar industry. Exactly. It's the was, it's the it's the golden goose that lays the egg, that brings patients to the urologist. Exactly. I was speaking to a relative, and I won't name who it is, um, that's uh, in your, close to your age, doctor, and he had had some procedures done. I, I know it was some, I think, cortisone shots, uh, radi- I'm not exactly sure what they did. I know it wasn't a removal. It wasn't an ectomy. But a- as I told him about your book and about some of the data, he it was watching his eyes. It was like in one ear and out the other. And then he said, oh, yeah, mine, mine's still right, hanging right around three or four. And I said, well, hold on. Did you hear what I'm saying? And I went and I repeated it. And it goes in one ear and out. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. My urologist says, you know, I'm doing pretty good. It's it's hanging right around four. It's it's like they can't hear it. It's it's like it, it's like you said, it's a multi-trillion dollar business, but it's also ingrained in our psyche. Um well, no, but let me just say this. Where the PSA test can be useful in a case mm-hmm. like that is if a man has a PSA test at a given age and has a given number, mm-hmm. if he follows the level of PSA over a number of years, <clears throat> it's quite possible, <coughs> excuse me, that even though the prostate, as I said, over 40, the prostate is growing and we're getting benign prosthetic hypertrophy. And although some of that increase in PSA could be due to the increase in the growth of the prostate, at least, (coughs) sorry, the increase in PSA, while it may not, now we're not talking about the PSA of that gentleman going from three to four to five to six to seven, or or if it's going from three to four to 20 or 2,000. We're, we're talking about if it's going slowly up, what that can tell the patient is the analogy between the, the, this, the difference between a fire alarm and a burglar alarm in the sense that you can be telling him that his increase in PSA is telling him that something's going on in the prostate. It may not be cancer. It could be prostatitis. It could be the worsening of the BPH. 
Yeah, or it could be you got a new bike with a new seat. Well, all right. right? But I'm, I'm, I'm saying in general, um, there are cases where uh, there's a small percentage or a group. If you have um, a, a father who had prostate cancer, the likelihood of you having prostate cancer is two to one twice. If you had a brother and a father who had prostate cancer, it goes to three to one. So in those families in which there's heredity, hereditary path of prostate cancer, it may behoove that individual to check their PSA, but with the understanding that the PSA is not telling him I've got cancer. It's simply a warning sign that something's going saying on. Something's going on. Maybe it's time I went to the urologist and had the urologist, you know, have a checkup. Or how about their local holistic doctor that knows how to balance things and then go get a check and make it very non-invasive and very healthy. And I've seen several numbers drop dramatically just through diet and certain herbal formulas. And I'm not just talking well, the basic right. and, and you're, you're correct. And, and we yeah. recently had, um, there was a very well-known um, radio commentator, Don Imus, who was called uh, Dr. Shock, um, who passed away during the recent Christmas holiday. He was diagnosed with prostate cancer in 2009, um, and part of his treatment, uh, he followed the holistic medicine, um, and he felt, uh, as I, you know, that I guess as he's expressed, um, and as there was recently a write-up, there's a publication on the Internet called MedPage Today, um, and there's a writer uh, based out of Chicago uh, by the name of Howard Wolinsky uh, who contributes to MedPage, um, and he wrote about Don Imus uh, passing away uh, during the Christmas holiday, and he did mention that Mr. Imus uh, patronized or used um, uh, several doctors um, who used holistic medicine uh, and reading from uh, what was written um, uh, I must use this uh, Japanese uh, medicinal mushroom product uh, and among among some other things you know vitamins and exercise and again, some of the things you remember, Dean Ornish, you know, a few years back wrote about exercise and a healthy lifestyle. Uh, right, right. You know, and to quote, to, to quote Wolinsky here uh, in this article, um, he said the idea of, of holistic, uh, you know, medicine, or this type of, of uh, diet, uh, one good aspect of it is, is that, that it gives patients some feeling of control, you know, over, you know, over their overall health. Right, and you know, quality of life too. Quality, you know, you're not. We this we got to have another interview too because I can. I'm not. There's things I can. I can tell you about the holistic side. I've had several people come to me with elevated PSAs and a matter of 60 days they go down. A lot of times there's there's things going on with their lifestyle and what how they're living and and even, you know, uh not to get graphic here, but even with internet um pornography. There's a lot of men doing things a lot more than they should be doing. Let's just put it that way. And um let me, so we got five minutes left, Doctor. 
So the great prostate hoax is the name of your book, and I know you mentioned cholesterol in your book too, and we don't have time to get into that. That'd be wonderful if you had an authority on that, or if you're an authority, we could do something and talk about that hoax. But how many tests, Just and I'm not going to hold you, you don't even have to answer this if you don't want to, but how many of these tests do you think are hoaxes or borderline hoaxes or don't really say what they're supposed to be saying? How many are out there? What percentage would you guess? Would you say half? Would, would you say 80%? Well, well, no. The thing is that um, in recent years, since, you know, PSA uh, has been questioned by other people uh, than myself, right. perhaps not as maliciously uh, as, uh, you know, as I have, but in terms of, you know, we talk about the Holy Grail, you know, and one of the Holy Grails in the terms of, of, of prostate cancer uh, would be to come up with a test uh, that does have the specificity, you know, that that's needed that the PSA test doesn't have. And there are quite a number of tests, you know, in the last 10 years that are on the market. Um, some of them are more expensive than others. Um, some of them have been in some trials. Um, and there are some promising tests. Without the high level of false positives? You know, More specific? That, like they're not showing the high incidence of false positives or hoax-related type results? You know, there are some tests that look... Um, that they're almost there, but mm-hmm. yet there need to be more studies, you know, studies done. Uh, and I myself have been doing, you know, some work. Um, I don't know if the time flies. I've been doing some work the past 10 years um, with a group I've been fortunate enough to collaborate with in, uh, in Wales at Cardiff University on uh, trying to find another marker. Um, we're just not there, okay. you know, at, at this particular point. But there's a number of tests that, you know, there's some markers. Uh, in, in some cases, um, the true test, of course, for prostate cancer is a biopsy. Um, and there are some tests um, in the case of a negative biopsy. Um, there are some cases and some tests that are done. Um, There's some new techniques that, you know, that have come up with. Uh, One of them that appears to be uh, very, very useful um, is... But these are still being worked on. It's called multi-parametric magnetic resonance imaging in combination with what's called fusion biopsy. Um, That particular approach uh, appears to be very successful. So there are a lot of things um, going on, and hopefully um, there will be something coming along so that meets the, the, the necessary criteria. Right. It's just unfortunate. I you mentioned it. Yeah, Go ahead. It's just unfortunate. We have a minute left. Yeah, it's just unfortunate because of what I call the almighty bloody dollar, um, mm-hmm. that, um, you know, in every profession, not just urology, but in every profession, whether, uh, you know, it, it's people in holistic medicine, uh, automobile, you know, lawyers, other professions, you know, there's the good, the bad, and the ugly. And unfortunately, um the pharmaceutical industry um, took advantage of something that the FDA, you know, in 86, they made a very useful decision about the use of the PSA test to follow a patient following treatment. But in 94, um, there's no way, and in the book, The Hoax, um, if you recall, there's, there's excerpts uh, which we obtained through the Freedom of Information Act 
of the hearings, from the FDA hearings, there's no way that that test should have ever, ever have been approved uh, for the detection of, of, of prostate cancer. Okay, doctor, i got to wrap it up here, and I'm going to repeat what you just said right there. He, The horse's mouth just stated that the PSA test should have never, ever, ever been used for the detection of cancer of the prostate. And this is David Jameson, doctor of natural medicine, a.k.a. Dr. Truth here at Universal Truths. And I'm so happy to have Dr. Ablin with us today. And we will see you soon. I thank you. It was a privilege to have this opportunity, and I hope it it's, will have proved useful uh, to some of the listeners. Absolutely. Doctor, I'm not sure if we're still on the air, but I will talk to you soon. Thank you very much. All right. All right, thank you. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.